0: Our scripture reading this morning is from John chapter 9, verses 24 through 35. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this, because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind, and now I can see. But what did he do, they asked How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. But that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes. And yet you don't know where he comes from. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? and they threw him out of the synagogue. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Please pray with me. Dear Lord, thank you for your word to us and the lessons we can learn from those who came before us. Open our eyes so that we may see the truth you bring to the world. Open our hearts as we listen to the message this morning and help us to learn something new. In your loving name, I pray. Amen.
1: Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure to subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media now. Here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. A little exercise of the imagination this morning. Can you think of a time, just remember back to a time, a moment in your life where you truly knew what you didn't know, all right? Where you were keenly aware of what you did not know about a situation, a stage of life where you were keenly aware of your limitations. Uh, I can think of a lot of those times, uh, but one time that stands out that's still kind of funny when I think back is uh, our, our family, when we loaded up and went to seminary, uh, to graduate school in Kentucky, uh, went from Borger, Texas with an 18 month old And made the pilgrimage to Kentucky with everything that we had in a in a trailer behind a pickup. And we we just had no idea what we were getting into. Among other things, you know, I I stumbled into the first week of class, and you know, I feel pretty competent and confident about life. And I'm, you know, approaching 30 and I'm thinking I can, you know, I can handle this. And I sit through these first few lectures. And I'm surrounded by these people that majored all seemingly in philosophy and history and Greek and Hebrew and all the stuff. And they're like, yeah, who was your favorite scholar when you were in college and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, I'm an economics major, so thanks a lot. I don't have a favorite scholar. You know, I can't remember the guy's name, but he gave me a favorable grade. You know what, but... I, I struggled. I mean, I did not know if I was going to make it. All these philosophers' names, all this stuff. I wasn't the, the fastest reader. And so, all these thousands of pages we're supposed to read and all these hundreds of pages we're supposed to write. I'm going, I remember that, you know, the Alamo. I, I remember some I, some history. I've written some research papers, very short, two, three page papers. I uh, never wrote a 20 page paper in my life until seminary. So, it was a lot. It was a lot to take in on my side. And so after those first few days, uh, I, I was just shaking my head going, I, I know exactly how much I don't know. And it's a whole heck of a lot. You know, I knew that I needed help to make it. So I was motivated to to start out and say, I don't know stuff. So I'm here to learn. You know, you have office hours. Can you tutor me? What's going on? So I, I was I was motivated, and ready. I knew that I was vulnerable. Um, I had no idea how it was going to work. And so I had no illusions that I already knew what I needed to know. Uh, I was there to be prepared uh, for ministry. Uh, our family had, had committed to this together. We also had no idea how we're going to pay for it, how we're going to get to where we needed to go after that. Uh, but here we were, and we were trusting God, and uh, we were entirely vulnerable, and uh, that, those were the places where uh, we, we left it to the Lord to, to meet us. And I think the call, you know, throughout scripture and throughout Christian history for us to approach God in this way uh, with humility reminds us of the role of wonder in the spiritual life. The role of wonder, that thing inside of us that, that makes us anticipate and open our eyes and, and, and wonder, you know, what, what, are, what are the flowers going to look like when we go outside today? Is there going to be fruit in the garden? What will this child that we hold in our hands, what will they become someday? Uh, what will this hike yield in the mountains? Will we run into weather? Will we run into wildlife? I mean, there's always that sense of wonder. <clears throat> and that is so critical in the spiritual life. Uh, because we must approach, Jesus tells us, the spiritual life. We must enter the kingdom of God like a child if we want to enter it all. And that's the disposition of a child, is that of wonder. This is what uh, the scriptures mean when we read those words, the fear of the Lord, the gift of the fear of the Lord. Why is the fear of the Lord a gift for crying out loud? We thought fear was always bad, but in, in that list of the the uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit in Isaiah 11, the fear of the Lord is is a big one. And we remember Proverbs, you know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So there's something about the gift of the fear of the Lord that helps us with this wonder piece in our lives. It teaches us our need for God. It reminds us that we cannot save ourselves as much as we should try and hope that we can. Without the fear of the Lord, This story reminds us we will not find courage to believe in Jesus Christ. We will not see the light of the world unless we have some help to open our eyes. So the hero of this great story today, the latest in a series of characters in John's gospel, who lead us to believe in Jesus more deeply. You know, we saw Nicodemus, we saw the woman at the well, and today we look at this man Uh, We don't know his name, but he leads us to believe in Jesus more deeply, or for the first time, or when we have wandered away, he calls us home. He calls us back. His story, his life. We affectionately read about this man as simply the man born blind, or the man formerly blind. So in my notes all week, it was the MBB or the MFB, because that's how he's referred to throughout the whole story. Uh, John's telling us this guy, so we we really want to meet this guy. We want to get to know this guy. We don't know his name. It's like the woman at the well. We miss the name, but we're fascinated by the character of this person. So we simply refer to him as the man born blind. And he is keenly aware of his limitations. He is keenly aware of his limitations. And it is these limitations which really spark the humor and the tragedy of the story. These limitations where... It it prompts, you know, speculation from others. Is this a familiar story? When we have limitations and we wonder what people are saying about us, about our limitations, because sometimes they are saying things about us and our limitations. So there's continual commentary on this man's limitations. I mean, I'm sure from the time he was born, but... Even after Jesus engages him, initiates healing, there's all kinds of scuttlebutt. Well, is this the same guy that used to sit out there begging? Well, is it? Surely it's not. Oh, yeah, it is. Well, how are we going to find out for sure? I don't know. Let's talk to his parents. Parents of him? Yeah, we can tell you it's him. But we're not going to go to bat for him anymore because we're scared of what you guys might do. So just leave us alone. Okay, bring him back. Let's talk to him again. We'll find out if it's the same guy. Constant speculation about this guy's limitations. And it starts with the disciples, you know, and before we are too critical of the disciples, we ask these same questions all the time. You know, we wonder these things about God and sometimes in our quiet, desperate moments, things like, okay, Jesus, who sinned? This guy or his parents? Had to be somebody because we know that when someone's born blind, somebody sinned, right? There was a snafu on the front end of the deal, which, who was it? Did this baby sin in, in utero, or uh, there was speculation that, that happened, and or or did you know mom and dad something shady in their past? What happened? And Jesus says. Oh, and then later the Pharisees confirm that they think the exact same thing when he they give this retort, when he takes them to task, he takes them to theology class that they should have been taking other people to. And he says, how in the world can you miss what's going on here and say you don't know where this guy comes from? No one has ever heard of anyone opening the eyes of a blind person. And we know you couldn't do that if you weren't from God. And they say, whoa, 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 you were born in utter sin and you propose to teach, you assume that you're gonna teach us something. So they they already confirmed that you were born blind, which means you were born in utter sin. So people are speculating and they're, you know, philosophizing about what it means that this guy is born blind. Who sinned, this person or his parents? These limitations of our hero, And our limitations present opportunity for Jesus. Jesus references eternal life. He references the works of God. He says these are the works that we must be doing while it's daylight because we only have so much time. So we should be doing these works uh, on earth as it is in heaven. This is how it should be. We begin to see some of this unfold. No one sinned, Jesus says. Rather, this man's misfortune is before us as the next item of business on the agenda. It's an occasion for God to display his ultimate will and a foretaste of his ultimate response to darkness. So Jesus initiates a healing and there's this recurring re- repetition of the story but he he bends down he makes a paste of clay, you know, mud and spit and he wipes it in the guy's eyes and he tells him to go wash in a pool. The guy goes and washes in a pool and he returns and all of a sudden he can see. The guy didn't ask for healing. The guy didn't say anything. Jesus just walks up to him and you know, smears mud in his eyes. It's it's just as simple as that. And so every time the Pharisees ask, well, how did this happen? How did this happen? How did this happen? And the neighbors ask, how did it happen? The guy says, I don't know. There was mud and there was water and now I can see. I don't know the guy. I can't tell you more than that. I was blind. Now I can see. The man returned seeing, even though... There are no instances of blindness being healed in the entire Old Testament, not a single one. And yet of the miracles that we might call the miracles of compassion in the life of Jesus, Jesus heals people of blindness more than any other miracle. We don't see his disciples do that, but Jesus does. And if nothing else, this should tell us this is God Himself. This is the word became flesh. No one else can do this but Jesus. So the gift of physical sight to our friend, the man born blind, <clears throat> invites us to a deeper way of seeing, a spiritual sight, we might say, that only comes by receiving the light of the world. This is the great witness to us from the man born blind throughout the centuries, as this simple I don't know what else to tell you. What I do know is I was blind, and now I see. I was blind, and now I see. The core kernel of our faith and recounting of our story always has that as part of its element. I mean, it's always, I don't really know how to parse it out for you. I just know that I was here, and now I'm here, and I don't think I could have got there on my own. So something is happening. And for this great gift of sight or the light that the man did not ask for and certainly never expect because he himself said, never since the beginning of the world have anyone ever even heard of this. This is crazy. He gets questioned by his neighbors and the Pharisees, you know, six ways from Sunday. His parents hang him out to dry for fear that they might be kicked out of the synagogue. Uh, They don't want to lose their membership. And the poor guy gets the very thing that they feared as he gets booted from the synagogue. He gets cast out. And so what does Jesus do in the wake of this man that he's already healed and sent on his way uh, when he he finds out that he learns that this man was kicked out of the synagogue? Our friend, the man born blind. Jesus hears about it, and he responds. So in verse 35... Jesus heard that they cast him out. You know, he's got his ear to the ground, and somebody tells him, Hey, they cast that guy that you healed of blindness. You know, they they kicked him out of the synagogue. And so Jesus goes and finds him. And again, what does this tell us about the character of God, the nature of Jesus? That he finds out this guy who's estranged from his community. He was healed and meant to be welcomed back into his community, and they kicked him out. So Jesus goes straight to him, and he finds him in this beautiful moment in the scene. And he asks him, he gives the dignity to respond to what's happened in his life. And he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the guy's like, I'm not sure who we're talking about, but please tell me more. You know, he's hanging on every word of Jesus. Jesus' response to this man highlights, I think, one of the major things that I believe we leave this story seeing uh, by grace through faith. We see an invitation to abandon ourselves to Jesus, one who is trustworthy, who finds us in our vulnerability, in our limitations, when we are cast out and when we are estranged. This is the moment. These are the moments where Jesus finds us. And he invites a deeper belief a deeper restoration into the community of God's people because he wants us to belong in the body of Christ. Restoration. And the guy says, okay, who is he, the son of man that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. And he says, Lord, I believe, I believe. And what he says with his mouth, he echoes with his posture as he falls Uh, prostrate before the ground and on the ground and and he, he worships Jesus. He says, I believe, I believe. The second thing I think that we walk away from this story seeing today is a curiosity, a curiosity of where am I blind? You know, where in this whole story of faith and this whole appreciation and welcoming of the light of the world, What am I not seeing? Where am I blind? Where do I think maybe that I have sight and I actually don't? Because that sight leads to worship and worship leads to joy, leads to being able to fully open our hearts. Where are we blind? Maybe as a community, uh, maybe as a church, as a network of churches, I don't know. A curiosity about where we might be blind what we might be missing, where we might not have the whole story. Jesus continues as he rounds out this story. For judgment, I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees, of course, overhear him saying these things, and he said, oh, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, well, if if you were blind, you would not have guilt. But now that you say that you see, your guilt remains. The Pharisees remind us of a thing that we walk away from this story seeing. They remind us that it is quite possible to have a head full of knowledge and a head full of the right answers and miss the truth when it's staring us in the face. The judgment that Jesus talks about, and it's weird because in chapter three, Jesus says, you know, it's not for judgment and condemnation that I came in the world, but I came in, I came to save the world. So what's What's the rub? Here, here he says he did come to judge the world. And what he's saying is, I'm the light of the world. And if people respond favorably, they're going to do nothing but see and be nothing but illuminated, be nothing but hopeful and healed. But if they already think they see, then the light that I shine will blind them. It will make them more blind. It's like, you know, Ethan and I went to the optometrist the other day, and you get that moment in your eye exam where they take your glasses off, and they put that thing up close, and then they just shine that spotlight right in the middle of your eye so they can look for health, and you can't see a cotton-picking thing for about 30 seconds. It's just, boom. It's that kind of, that's what light does when we think we're already, oh yeah, I'm good, I can see, boom, the light, that's where it hits us. It's like, it's like John says in, in the very beginning of the gospel, right? The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not understand it. The darkness did not comprehend it. Those that think they already see will always remain blind. It's their choice. It's their choice, and that's the judgment. That's what happens. I was reminded on Wednesday night in our Bible study, we were studying the book of Ephesians, And uh, we were in that great passage in chapter three where Paul is praying for the church. And he says uh, he says exactly what he's praying for the church. And that is uh, that they would have the ability by the spirit, the ability to comprehend what are the heights and depths and what is the breadth and width of the love of God that basically that we would all have the ability to comprehend how great the love of God is. And so we went around the room and we just talked about the different times in our lives where we felt like we had the ability to comprehend the love of God and what it took. And most of us had some sort of echo in the department of, you know, I most experienced and most comprehended the love of God when I was the most desperate for God. And those moments where I knew that nothing else could save me, nothing else could help me, nothing else could comfort me, those are the moments that I had a sense, that I comprehended how deep and wide the love of God truly was for me and for all of God's children. So when we know what we don't know is very liberating. And our friend in this story reminds us today is the pathway to our healing.